Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of VMware's Partnership Perspectives. I'm Kathleen Tandy, Vice President of Global Partner and Alliances Marketing at VMware, and I'm pleased to bring you the stories and trends from our VMware partners, executives, and industry analysts. This week, I had the opportunity to sit down with Shankar Iyer, Senior Vice President and General Manager of End User Computing at VMware. Together, we discussed some of the biggest drivers in technology as companies shifted to remote work and a permanent distributed workforce model over the last year, and how VMware and partners are on the front lines of helping customers to create secure business solutions. Let's listen to the full conversation now. Well, Shankar, welcome to Partnership Perspectives. It's great to have you join us today. Hey, Kathleen. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Well, so to get us kicked off, let's start with your role at VMware. So as Senior Vice President and General Manager of End User Computing, you lead VMware's business focused on enabling the remote hybrid future of work, which has been the place to be over the last 18 months with a critical market space for our customers, with the ongoing pandemic and this grand remote work experiment that we're all continuing to work through. Would love to hear from you some background on kind of your role, how you got here to VMware. You almost got here once with through an acquisition, but you didn't quite make it. You had to take a little more time to get to VMware. And what is the scope of your responsibility today? So I've been at VMware now close to just eight years. At the end of the year, I'll complete my eighth year. So uh, this is probably my longest tenure in any company in the technology industry. I've been fortunate to have worked my entire career in Silicon Valley for all kinds of companies, some big, some small, some of the big ones being sort of Adobe, I worked for WebEx and got acquired by Cisco. So that was uh, certainly the largest company I worked for. I worked for a five-person startup, my first job. I did work for a company called Gemstone that got acquired by VMware. And I left them to join WebEx and I was on their advisory board and certainly had a preview into the VMware acquisition. So I didn't make it then. <laughs> and then I did a short stint at Citrix, which is where I got to the end-user computing space. Actually, getting started not so much on BDI, but mobile in the very early days of the iPhone I was quoted by VMware during that time, and there was a change in Citrix. I think many of us got into end-user computing with prior history in that space. You know, certainly Sanjay Poonan and Sumit and myself, we'd all known and worked with each other, so it was great to be here. In terms of my role, I'm the general manager of the end-user computing group, so I have full responsibility for the business. So even though the organization that reports to me is very much R&D-centric, products, engineering, product marketing, and so on. I have a very close partnership with our sales teams and the broader GTM teams at VMware. Through that partnership, I'm fortunate enough to really run the business end-to-end, which means, of course, our partners play a very important role in that journey. And uh, I often, because of that, uh, love to speak to my partners. And certainly, this is a conversation I'm looking forward to. That's great. And as I mentioned, we're thrilled to have you here today because this whole topic has been front and center. As I look at these solutions are some of the most frequently sold by our partners. They've been a huge growth opportunity for our partners. And it goes without saying that this last year has had a fundamental and lasting impact on the end user computing space. I also know you spend a lot of time with customers and talking with customers about trends and their needs As we've all made this shift to remote work over the last year, what have been the biggest changes that you've seen? What have been the biggest 
kind of drivers, things we've you have had to respond to that you've had to lead the organization to pivot. What has the last 18 months meant for you in this role and for this business? It's been an exciting journey, actually. Certainly the personal part of the pandemic has been difficult for humanity at large and certainly, you know, us included. But uh, one of the silver linings, if you will, was the opportunity to have made a difference. So when the pandemic started, of course, the first sort of request from our customers, both new and even our large existing customers was, hey, please help us enable this remote work. Because there are many customers either that were not fully enabled for remote work or in some cases they were partially enabled. So customers in the federal government, I mean, they didn't know how to send employees home with their laptops because of security reasons. They had to have those laptops attached to corporate networks in certain offices. So one of the big swings in interest in our customers with our portfolio was VDI. So we were helping customers either grow their VDI estate or literally stand up VDI deployments of 5,000 desktops right within days. So we worked hard. We made it commercially viable for customers to do that. But we also spent a lot of times deploying, enabling and making those customers successful. And they were super thankful to us. So that was the first wave in terms of what you started off by saying, remote work became a necessity. Then I think the perception set in as, hey, remote work is here to stay because clearly the pandemic is going to go through a much longer phase. So that started to set in. And then I think as people settled into remote work, I think the realization started dawning on most enterprises that this is a permanent shift to a distributed workforce. And then a lot of enterprises, and, and clearly we were we were one of the leaders in the conversation as VMware ourselves with over 30,000 employees. We started pioneering this notion of what is a future model of work, okay? And then since then, of course, many companies have done that, certainly some of the luminaries in the tech industry, but also many other companies that, that are not as well known. So for me, the biggest surprise has been talking to many traditional companies or so-called traditional companies that have had some pretty far-reaching thoughts on the nature of future of work. And I can tell you categorically, the answer is that it is going to be a distributed workforce model. What does that mean? That means that you're going to have your workforce just distributed across locations because now everyone is saying, look, I might as well start hiring people in locations where there's talent, where there's diversity, and of course, economics as well. Second is, you know, most of those locations also perhaps will follow a hybrid model because many of the workers have realized that for certain kinds of works or certain parts of their roles, working from home is actually a more efficient option. It cuts commute times. It gives them more work-life balance. So people don't want to give that up. So that has to be an accepted norm in most roles and most companies, not all. But yet there is the need for people to mingle and collaborate in which some people have missed that. And that's a pretty large amount of the workforce. So it is going to be by definition, a distributed model, a distributed workforce model is also a heterogeneous model. So that's what we are driving, both living by that example at VMware, but also creating the solutions and technologies needed to help our customers support and operationalize this model for the foreseeable future. So as we move into this permanent state of distributed work and most companies, I've seen so many of the great success stories of, yes, we helped this customer, that customer. A lot of them were also healthcare customers. We were on the front lines of helping to set remote testing facilities with our capabilities too in the the peak of it. And it looks like we're coming back to another peak. And around the globe, we've been doing this. But as we shift now to being this more permanent state that you're thinking of, 
What are some of the key technology areas that customers are now trying to grapple with? It's one thing to just focus on, let's get everybody working from home with their laptops and make that happen. As we start to live the reality, what are some of the key technology areas that are phase two or phase three that especially if you have to plan from a permanent perspective, customers are realizing they need to address and how are we working to help support them? That's an excellent question, right? Because we spent a lot of time last year as this notion started emerging that this was a permanent future and actually an interesting future that is potentially more powerful than the past. We started to get deeper into understanding what does this entail? What do customers need to be able to enable this distributed workforce? So we interviewed a lot of customers. We commissioned some research. We worked with analysts who were doing primary research in the space. And then, of course, you hear a lot of anecdotal evidence through just personal conversations. And then, of course, we lived it as well. So through this collection, we were able to boil it down into three fundamental things that we think every customer needs to support it. And these are three large things. So you can pretty much bucketize everything else into these three things for the most part. So the first thing is putting employees first. You got to make sure that employee is not only productive, but they're having a great experience because one of the downsides of remote work and remote is, of course, one modality in this distributed work. And sometimes, as you know, you and I may work remotely. Sometimes we'll be in the office. Sometimes we'll be in a a site. Sometimes we'll be at a customer. In that remote work is when often you're doing your most intense task-based items. If you don't have a great experience, you're going to tune out because there's no one to go to and ask for help. You just sort of put it off. You get frustrated. And that can really turn employees off either by dampening the productivity or in some cases even leaving the company. So what does that mean? What does great employee experience means? It means actually, if you double click further, it's cataloging that employee's journey. So the first thing is, hey, let's talk about employees that join organization. So you've got to have this great onboarding. It's no longer where... You walk into a building, you walk over to the IT facility or somebody hands you a laptop. There's no one to help you. It's really something that gets drop shipped to your house and you need to be up and running because if you're not up and running for three days, you've lost those three days. So it's great onboarding. It's called great day one experiences. And then it's the ability to largely be able to use analytics to tailor that employee's experience for their role and their nature of work. Because some employees may be coming from a company or more recently, they may be a recent graduate that are just used to MacBooks. So they want to use a MacBook. There are some that's on the road and they're using their iPhone to get work done. So you've got to support these different experiences. We call it multiple modalities. So supporting this multimodal experience all the way from day zero, which is literally before you join, the time before you join, but the time after when you committed to joining the company to day one when you join the company, to day N, which is all the days you're there, to even offboarding, that employee journey has to be fantastic and support multiple modalities. So that's, I would say, the first bucket, this experience bucket. The second bucket, which I think most people will relate to very quickly, is security. One of the biggest challenges in this distributed workforce is that security has become a distributed problem. It's no longer, hey, come into work, it's a safe place and a safe device, safe network, safe walls, safe location, None, all that goes out of the window, right? It could be any device <laughs> anywhere in the world, so to speak. Yeah, the attack surface just exponentially grows, and I'm sure it's a nightmare for every chief security officer. It's actually a nightmare for the employee too, because sometimes they don't know whether they're doing something, they see something happening and they're not sure what to do. 
So the security solution has to be fundamentally distributed, meaning that you have to have security on your device. You got to have security on the data on the device. You got to have security at the edge between your device and what it connects to. You got to have security across the cloud that it traverses. And then, of course, back to your very applications run, whether it's data center or public clouds, you got to have security. So it's this device to data center security becomes important. So that's one facet. The second facet is the zero trust model that was coined years ago by BeyondCorp is becoming slowly established as a de facto model to build security on, meaning that zero trust essentially means that you don't trust anything and you build trust dynamically based on the context. So you have to have a zero trust distributed security model that needs to be implemented for this workforce. And quickly you realize it's not the workforce, it's everything that spans all the way from the workspace edge or the device edge down to data center or public cloud. Okay, So that's, I would say, the second facet. The third facet, which a lot of people don't realize, is that this whole model makes life very complex for IT. If you think about IT, it's all about management and operations. It's okay. They were thought about, here's how you manage users. Oh, users run on these devices. In the old days, most users lived on Windows desktops or laptops that essentially sat on their office desks. And maybe they took laptops home at the best. That's probably what they did. This is all kinds of things now that IT needs to manage. So what we are postulating is that if we can truly make this workspace a virtual concept, meaning it's a workspace and Kathleen has a workspace that moves with her wherever she goes and it's completely secure, it's managed, then what IT needs is IT needs outcomes. IT needs outcomes where they're able to make sure that you get the right applications, that you're productive that your workspace is secure. If something is wrong with your device, figure it out and such as, you know, the patch not being updated. So let's go fix it and automate it. So this whole notion of automation that is outcome-based is going to become very important. So we call it sort of either workforce automation or even workspace automation. So that's a third piece, which I think is necessary when you think about this distributed workforce model. That's great. That's a very complete view. And I had security on the list to talk with you about, so you've already raised it. But as we think about those three areas, right, an employee first mindset, thinking about their experience, thinking about the security aspects, and then the workforce automation capabilities and managing the complexity with IT, I want to connect us now to VMware's Anywhere Workspace solution. So we announced this last April. It's live and available. And that started to combine capabilities across our portfolio that I think really speak to addressing the three elements that you just described. Can you talk about that? You know, it's Workspace ONE, it's VMware SASE, it's VMware Carbon Black. Why did we choose to bundle these things together? And how is that solution designed to address the three categories that you just described? It's a great question. Workspace was designed effectively to solve the problems. If you follow my story, we did a whole bunch of research last year. We sort of made the strategic bet that this is where the distributed workforce is going to go. And I think so far we've been proven right. And we said, here are the three main things that need to be solved. So we said, look, what do we need? So certain things we needed to build, some things we needed to partner. So we quickly did that. And we essentially brought the solution to market with the set of capabilities that cuts across these three dimensions. So let's talk about each of these, right? So first of all, from an experience perspective, the good news is that Workspace ONE, together with Horizon, addresses that gamut of experiences. It's what we focused on for years with a market leader in that space. We truly sort of enable employees to do their best work. And I know that as a VMware employee, Kathleen, you live that dream every day. So you I can do. attest to that. <laughs> and that was the first sort of ingredient, if you will. 
The second ingredient actually was the one that we really needed to work on because while Workspace ONE provided security, such as enforcing policies in the device and DLP, obviously had contextual access built in where we ensured that users could only access their apps if they were authorized to do so, and that too only in the right context, meaning on the right device, the right location, and so on, which were all governed by policy. And of course, with Horizon and BDI, you were in a virtual container, so you had security by design. So so we had some elements of security, but we felt that that didn't solve the distributed security problem. So there were two things we added. The primary one that we really made a leapfrog on was SASE. So we worked very closely with our, what's now called the service provider and HBU, the Velo Cloud piece. So Velo was building a set of cloud-based pops, and they were layering on services. Of course, they had the world-class SD-WAN. But between our BUs, we quickly decided we needed a SASE solution. So we worked closely with one of our partners, Menlo Security, to bring that solution to market running in the VeloPop. And secondly, the Workspace One team worked with the Velo team to deploy our secure access solution in essentially the same sort of POP or what we call now edge infrastructure. So these two solutions, these two services, which are launched as part of Anywhere Workspace, are now called Secure Access Service, which is really Workspace One Access now working in this edge infrastructure. And second, the cloud web security piece, which is some of the technology that we've OEM from Menlo, also integrated and running in this same edge infrastructure through this collection of Velo Cloud points of presence. Together, we've combined that and are able to now sort of have a seamless sort of orchestration of policy all the way from that workspace to the access tier, through the cloud web security tier. And in the future, we intend to add more services such as firewall as a service, remote browser isolation, CASB, and so on. And so through this, I think we are essentially marching towards the most complete solution in that distributed security model. And finally, we brought Carbon Black in, which we were already working together as a Workspace ONE team, but we brought that integration as part of the solution where in addition to enabling device policies and protecting devices with Workspace ONE, we can also put the Carbon Black next generation endpoint protection and detection solution as part of that package. What have we have been working on and we continue to working on is where the solution is, is truly integrated. It already is integrated from an experience perspective. We also have some integration in the policy perspective, even in version one. But over time, we intend to have essentially a single orchestration model where this whole solution can be deployed, managed, essentially as one seamless product. And that's what we're marching towards. And so this is really unique in the industry because there is really no vendor out there, categorically, I can say, that has these solutions built together in this fashion. If you go out and pick alternate solutions, you literally have to buy a secure web gateway from somebody else, whether it's a Palo Alto or someone else. You have to buy SD-WAN from somebody, someone else. You have to buy the secure access solution differently. And then, of course, the endpoint solution is different. And so what happens in that is not only is it a lot of work for IT, but it breaks the employee experience. But most importantly, the security is not stitched together. So we've literally, I would say, been the first ones that have brought this together. We think it's a fundamental need for the market, and it's something that I think we're ahead. We've received great response from our customers, and I'm hopeful that we get some of these large deployments going so we can really prove that this integration is the best way to deliver this to companies that are looking to establish this distributed workforce model. One of the themes that I've had with many of the partner executives that I've spoken with on this podcast series is the concept of complexity complexity that IT is facing. And it sounds 
uh, single orchestration model that we're building into the product certainly will help address that complexity for our people running IT in across all sizes of companies. The complexity is also, frankly, an opportunity for our partners as they're helping our customers navigate all of this change. With this fabulous solution, which is clearly differentiated in the market, what do you see as the opportunity for our partners to be able to leverage the solution in helping to deliver solutions to our mutual customers? Yeah, I think there's a tremendous opportunity for partners, right? Because first of all, this distributed workforce is a goalpost that I think every enterprise, big or small, is setting themselves up to. So they need all kinds of help. So starting from, hey, wait a minute, how do I get there? What is the path? Okay, it's great. VMware is now talking about this notion of a distributed workforce with these three big drivers that need to be satisfied. But Net-net, every company is going to want to define, hey, what is the experience we want to define for our employees and future employees? What is our policy with respect to distributed work? What kind of devices are we going to enable in this model? How do I enforce the security across that gamut we talked about? And how do I manage them? So these are all questions that need to be answered in a very fine-grained context, which I think partners are the best equipped to do. So the first set of services I think they have opportunities to do is advisory services and help customers with that journey. The second, of course, is where do you start? Which one do you do? Which products do you pick? And more importantly, even if they pick anywhere workspace, It is such a vast solution that you can literally start your project from one to 10, depending on what that need is. So establishing that project and providing that project guidance and management is certainly a second service. And the third is really sort of implementation, which is, okay, there are multiple choices of implementation. We are clearly a multi-cloud company. So which cloud do you run it? Do you run it in a private cloud? So enabling customers on that implementation journey, especially depending on where they start, is another sort of service. And finally, you know, managed services. I think a lot of customers are looking for not just partners to help them with the deployment, but also to manage it on an ongoing basis. So I think this presents a tremendous opportunity for partners to exercise their muscle in multiple dimensions. And even if their strength is in one dimension, so some partners may be great at security, some partners may be good at sort of the management side of it, some partners may be good at sort of navigating the experience, the user experience side of it. You can bring those facets into this massive pool. So I'd love to use this opportunity to shout out to most of your partners out there. Please latch on to this. Please understand this opportunity. See where you fit. See where your customers fit and take advantage of it, but also at the same time, help your customers. One of the trends we're definitely seeing across our partners, as you mentioned, frankly, I don't think there are that many partners in our ecosystem that have peaked skills and capability in all those different facets of the solution, because you mentioned the breadth and and some of it with even SASE being new, cutting edge, and it's not necessarily a traditional established area of the tech market. But what we're seeing is partners work together, form alliances and bring together their different experiences. And we're seeing a lot more partnering among partners. And I know VMware is very committed to helping connect our partners together so that they can work together and and bring those complementary solutions to our customers. Certainly, I think you're right. This kind of solution is sort of good in two ways. One is if you're a partner that's good in one area, 
they can be the expert, but then they can be part of a pool of partners, especially if you're servicing a large customer that wants to do this transformation project. On the other hand, you may come in and help a customer with one facet of it and they get successful in this part and then they use a different skill set to get to the next level. So there are multiple opportunities in, I would argue, this massive market space being created. You started to mention cloud and and multi-cloud and which cloud do we run this on. I wanted to connect this to the broader concept of digital transformation overall. I mean, we talk about digital transformation with our customers all the time. I think we talk about it more in the concept of how they're running their business, how are they offering their business to the customers, very app-focused. How is managing the remote work connected to a company's overall digital transformation? Do you see it as part of the same thing or in parallel? How do you see those two concepts interplaying? No, I think it's part of the same thing, right? I mean, I'm following a lot of buying trends in the industry this last year. And really, I would say the four things that stand out, and I'm seeing this even if I look at investors that are investing in young companies in the venture capital world, it, there's a parallel. There are four things that jump out at you. One is cloud, which has been there for a while. Second is security. Third is workforce or future work. I've seen it referred both ways. And the fourth is data. So these are four broad areas that customers are investing in, and they're all for transformational purposes. So when you think about, and they're all interrelated in my mind. So cloud, clearly, I think the sort of continued motion to move things into cloud or cloud-like services, even if it's private cloud, it's continuing. So that's taking your core applications, core services, and just moving them to a different model of operating and managing, which is what cloud is. Second, security, which we've talked about, which is really a distributed security model. Third, we've talked about sort of the workspace, workforce part. And the fourth is data effectively sort of intertwined with every one of these three other things, because everything is going to be driven by data. So I would say most companies are going through those four transformations in highly interrelated fashions. So if you think about the distributed workforce challenge, it actually leverages all that because the more you have applications in managed, delivered and operationalized in a cloud-like model, it makes it actually easy for you to serve your workforce because then you just have different ways of backend applications being connected to what runs on on the user's device. Security, we talked about it. We said, look, it just spans end to end. So that's something we've covered in detail. And then, of course, the data thing is an element because the new models of zero trust security and this automation I talked about and even employee experience are going to be highly data driven. So building a data model and the collection of technologies to be able to harvest this data is critically important for customers. So I think they're all related. And I think every large company will go through all these four transformations and they'll all do it in interrelated fashion is what I believe. It's a different model than I've heard, and I appreciate your perspective on that. I was waiting to hear you start with it from an app-driven perspective, because that seems to be the big topic of the day. Everything is driven about apps, but it sounds that your perspective is more that the apps are related to cloud, although you know, probably apps and then the application mindset is woven through all of this as well. No, I think it's the latter, right? I think the application mindset is woven through all of that. Often people, when they think about apps, they only think about the apps moving to cloud part. But it's not true. It's you're building new kinds of applications. You're building applications in a fashion where they're secure by design. You're also building applications that are mobile by design ineffectively, especially the client-side apps. So applications is a good sort of way to unify these four things because they are facets of that. 
because they have to be secure. They have to, part of it runs in the cloud. Part of it needs to serve the workforce. And definitely every app is going to be significantly data driven. So they touch upon it. So sometimes people use that unifying term to talk about everything. But since you asked me more about transformation and how CIOs and industry IT executives are thinking about transformation, these are sort of the four things that come to light in almost every survey. Got it. The last area from a technology perspective I wanted to talk with you about is, and I say consumption. So we are seeing a huge and massive shift in the industry with our customers, shifting from a buy and own model to a consumption-based way of purchasing, of using. And I think that's all then associated with less of a focus on building it and more around how do we use it for our businesses. But I know like Workspace One is a SaaS app. We've definitely made and probably been on the leading edge. You've been on the leading edge of adopting this within VMware. How do you see that type of a way of purchasing and consuming changing your roadmap, your how we're delivering these technologies to market? What does it mean for, I know it's a big topic in VMware these days, but how are you thinking about that influencing this business going forward? This is a topic very near and dear to me, and I've been very vocal about this even within VMware. And I think even here, we have some ways to go in terms of truly driving a consumption-driven model. So to me, consumption means many things because it's a way, quite frankly, Kathleen, I think technology should have been built, especially software-based technologies, because you'd build them, you'd toss it over the wall, and then you'd not know what happened. Even if you talk to our engineers, they don't like that. They want to see the technology being used. So the way I believe that we as certainly as software vendors and even partners need to focus on that is consumption means that the customer is deriving value out of that purchase as soon as possible and to the greatest extent possible. So both dimensions, right? The breadth and the depth. And I think a lot of this will start getting baked in the product itself, where you'll be able to track literally when did the customer buy this particular service. And AWS, as an example, does a reasonably good job of this. How many people used it? To what extent did they use it? And even what value did they derive of it? Right? If you can start to get fairly good about that collection of things, then you know that you delivered value to that customer. And when you can point that out back to your customer and they receive the value they're delivering, they would automatically buy the next service and the next service and the next service. So it's good for them, it's good for you, and it's really good for the partners as well because the partners have visibility into that. They can actually be the ones that recommend which service to do. And it just drives innovation that much faster. And it drives, quite frankly, the promise of progress, which is what technology was intended to do, much, much faster. So I'm excited to see this consumption model at play. I think uh, eventually the consumption model will be way more than just pay by the drink. It'll be that customers will fundamentally be able to just seamlessly start using more and more things. And um, the billing model will be purely consumption-based. It's whatever you use, you, of course, it's based on a certain structure, you get charged for and you get metered and, and billed. And I think it's a great model for vendors like us that thrive on innovation and delivering value. It's a great model. And I know that one of the greatest things about VMware that I've enjoyed is we all come together to make sure that the customer is successful. There's such a passion around that. And I think this will just make it far more easier. So I'm excited for this transition. I do think there's some ways to go, but I'm excited for that change to have begun. And I know, speaking with so many of our partners, how passionate they are also about delivering value to customers. So I think it's a win-win for all of us. Back to the number four item, data. It also gives everybody much greater data and 
insights into trends and what our customers are doing and how they're using it. And I think the shift again will be less around building the technology, but how are we using it and how is technology delivering on the promise and the capabilities that it brings to bear? I want to kind of shift and start to close out more on talking about the events we've all endured over the last uh, year and a half, and we're continuing. As you talk about the fabulous, the products, the technology, the capability that we're delivering, all that is based on the talent of the people in your organization, the talent that you help inspire as a leader. And it has been hard. It hasn't been easy to do that over the last year to keep people engaged, balancing through all the challenges that we've experienced. Two questions for you. How would you say you feel like your leadership style has changed or grown or developed over the last 18 months? And how, as a leader of the organization, are you working to keep your bench and your talent engaged every day so we can continue delivering this great innovation to our customers? It's a great question. And certainly, I think like most leaders, my style has been impacted. I've learned a lot. First thing is I've learned that it is indeed possible to work in a very much this sort of remote hybrid model. It also requires a lot more of empathy, a lot more of flexibility, and it requires a lot more communication. So those are three things I've learned. If you can turn that into action, you actually end up getting even more productive employees I've seen this sentiment shift when people went to remote work, there was initial frustration, then acceptance, then perhaps this feeling that I'm just working too much to then I think, especially early this year, as things started breathing a little bit, this flexibility and work-life balance started to balance out some of those things versus the promise of offices open these possibilities of collaboration and working back with colleagues with human, inter- you know, true human interaction. So I think I've seen this ebbs and flows, and I'm hoping that in a few months we can truly move to this hybrid model of work where the pandemic is not restrictive enough to allow us to do that. And I think when we get there, I would have hoped we'd have arrived at a far more flexible model that allows people to do their best work which is what the mission of even end-user computing was. Brings technology to bear to make that great work possible. And then to create an organizational model that truly allows for this flexibility, empathy, strong communication. And quite frankly, the part that I think we have an opportunity to do is to get diversity of talent across multiple locations and just getting diverse individuals of different backgrounds that can truly sort of come together to build the best possible solution. So I think it's been, in general, a very good journey. It hasn't been, of course, without its challenges and pitfalls. Right now, for example, I think the whole technology industry is dealing with a wave of attrition. But in my mind, some of that is healthy because there have been people who've been wanting that change and you get new talent. But some of that, of course, we need to do bend over backwards to keep key talent and find ways to continue to motivate them and make them feel good about what they're doing. So yeah, it's been good. I would say it's been definitely challenging, but at the same time rewarding as well. I think that just how we have experienced a massive acceleration in technology and digital transformation with customers, and even particularly in the area of the remote work and hybrid work and distributed work that we've talked today, we're on the cusp or just on the threshold of a huge transformation in organization management and company management and workforce management. And as we all start to work with the realities of that persisting distributed workforce and what that means, I know everybody's really hungry to get back to have the opportunity to work together because there's something that you just can't do from your Zoom box together. 
You miss that organic conversations and those instances that spark unforeseen connections. And I think we miss all that, but I think we're meant to be together. So I want to wrap up today with just some quick rapid fire fun questions. What are you reading or listening to today that you is particularly inspiring? I'm a sports buff, so I just came off watching the Olympics. So I just keep following all kinds of sports. I read a lot, but I think these days there's so much to read just on the internet. It really depends on on the day. So my range of interests are pretty diverse, so I end up reading quite a bit. Uh, not listening to music as much as I thought I would, just because of so many other distractions. So Interesting that you mentioned that you're into sports. I did notice that you are an alum of the Ohio State University, and you should be pretty excited about football season coming up, and that team is very highly ranked. Yeah, they're ranked number four, so definitely looking forward to that. But also, I'm glad that my hometown football team, the San Francisco 49ers, are back in full strength this year, keeping fingers crossed. So I'm looking forward to that. First preseason game is tomorrow, so I'll be watching a little bit of that. Fabulous. That's great. What has been something that you've enjoyed binge watching now that I'm sure you've had been more time at home, less time traveling? Have you taken the opportunity to binge watch anything? And what was your guilty pleasure? I know tons of my friends ended up binge watching a lot of shows, especially with all kinds of interesting shows showing up online, whether it's Netflix or Prime or Disney+. Plus. I am actually one of those people that doesn't watch much TV except sports. So I actually used the time to spend a lot of times outdoors. Uh, I think I've spent probably two to three X times outdoors versus in the past, just doing all kinds of hikes and walks and uh, most of it, of course, local, but just beautiful. I mean, I live in the Bay Area, so it's a great place to live. So I've been to the mountains, the ocean multiple times. So that's what I've been doing. Oh, that's great. Well, in that case, I'm sure that you were going through severe withdrawals at the start of the pandemic when all sports were basically shut off. I'm a big football and college football fan, so it was tough. I just watched a lot of the reruns of the Warriors championships. Ah, the glory days. And last question for you, Shankar. What excites you the most about our industry and its promise for the future? I think, you know, that's what has always motivated me around technology, right? Because technology, as we've said a couple of times during this conversation, has always had that, had the potential to shape humanity. And it actually has in many positive ways. And I think the opportunity to make a difference, I mean, you brought up the healthcare example, right? I think we were able to keep many hospitals running based on our technology. So just that, and even, in fact, one of the most interesting stories that we're told is, during the pandemic, we actually helped one of the largest retailers on the West Coast stand up BDI so they could actually deliver, keep their grocery stores open. You imagine during that time, about March last year, we needed those grocery stores open. So, <laughs> so I think technology and its ability to shape humanity for the better is what I think motivates me and keeps me inspired. Oh, that's great. Well, I think that's a fabulous place to wrap today. Shankar, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining Partnership Perspectives. Yeah, and thanks for having me, Kathleen. What a great conversation with Shankar. It was particularly interesting to discuss the three fundamental areas that are important to customers, including a great employee experience, a zero-trust distributed security model, and workforce automation capability. I hope you enjoyed this conversation too. 
To learn more about VMware, please visit VMware.com. And to connect with Shankar, you can find him on LinkedIn. Please subscribe, follow, and review VMware Partnership Perspectives podcast from your streaming platform of choice. For more information on VMware's partner programs, please visit partnerexecutiveedge at vmware.com. I'm Kathleen Tandy. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you next time.